This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 62. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Charles Payne. He is the founder and CEO of Wall Street Strategies and is featured on the Fox Business Network Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Making Money with Charles Payne. Charles is not only widely recognized in the media sphere as a thought leader on stock markets and politics, but is also the best-selling author of Be Smart, Act Fast, Get Rich. One question I've always had is how does macroeconomic news impact microcap stocks? Is there a direct correlation? I've had a few guests that would probably argue that it doesn't. However, I thought Charles would be best suited to provide some clarity. Mr. Payne's program is a daily show where he gets to see how the news affects the market on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis, where he and his team do their best to help everyone navigate the infinite amount of information available. The goal for this episode is to try and answer the question of whether or not macroeconomic news has an impact on microcap stocks. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 62 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Charles Payne. But first, a word from our sponsor. To my loyal listeners, subscribers, and fans, Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap Podcast. The 2018 Investor Conference season is upon us. Where are you going this year? I'd like to take a second to invite you to join me and some of the guests you may have heard on this podcast to our annual Microcap Investor Conference, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 24 to 26, 2018 at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. The Planet Microcap Showcase will be two and a half days of company presentations, networking opportunities, an educational workshop, and you get to meet privately in one-on-one meetings with management of well-known public and private microcap companies. We are back with new surprises and programming that you will not want to miss. So join us for the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 24 to 26, 2018 at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. For more information and register to attend, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I have Charles Payne on the program. He is the founder and CEO of Wall Street Strategies and is featured on the Fox Business Network Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Making Money with Charles Payne. Charles, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's great to have you on and and thank you so much for joining me. I know you're incredibly busy. So uh, with that, let's get right to it. 
Um, to start off, as I do with all my uh, interviews on here, you know, what is your background? Well, uh, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> as far back as you want. <laughs> well, my background, going all the way back, is I was an Army brat until I was 12 years old. And then I lived in Harlem, USA, uh, which is where I initially got the idea I wanted to be in the stock market because we went from having everything to having nothing. And being the oldest, uh, I was motivated to to go out and try to help the family out. So I equated wealth with Wall Street and the stock market, started reading a journal, bought my first mutual fund when I was 17. My mom co-signed, and I bought my first stock when I was 18. So you can uh, say I was hooked at a really early age. Went to the Air Force so I could go uh, uh, to college. And when I got out, I started working at EF Hutton on the research side, which I loved, absolutely loved. The only problem is there was no money. So I went to the re, to the brokerage side, mm-hmm. and the brokerage side was interesting. It was tough. It was, but it wasn't what I thought. Particularly back then, you know, the, I always sort of romanticize it being, you know, you go home, you do a lot of work, you find great investments for your clients. But instead, it was sort of, you know, you go to work and whatever the the stock du jour is, um, <laughs> that's what you pitch to your clients. So I was always sort of disenchanted with it, and at some point, I decided to sort of merge both of them. My knowledge uh, of the faulty research and on Wall Street, and, and some of the um, some of the real serious issues that have been addressed over the years to a degree, and my love for research, and I started Wall Street Strategy. So we're going on about thirty years. Mm-hmm. So what was it that really got you into the stock market? Because you know, you think to yourself, "I'm going to make money." And, you know, some people will go and get a job, but you know, what about the stock market really drew you in? Well, we went from having a lot, uh, living in a two-story house, uh, had my own room, ride our bikes all day, never locked our doors, play all day, come home, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and go back and play again to moving to perhaps one of the most, well, certainly was the poorest and most violent neighborhood in America in, in the early 1970s. So I never knew that you could actually live in a place that didn't have heat or hot water. I didn't know we could go through a whole winter without that. I didn't know... I never knew about the kind of poverty that existed out there, and we landed smack dab in the middle of it. So I never thought about money a single day in my life, and then I became obsessed with it. And I did whatever I had to do. I would clean windshields, stop lights with paper towel and Windex, and shovel uh, storefronts during wintertime. But uh, that's when I became intrigued by it, and then I became even more intrigued by the different individual stories, particularly uh, startup companies. My first stock I bought, in fact, was MCI. And it was started by a guy who was using TV antennas off of people's house, off the roofs of people's houses, as his network. It was uh, he was going to go against AT and T with this thing. It was an amazing story, and it was an amazing stock for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, I take it that your first real, you know, step into the stock market was in microcaps. Then it was a low price stock. I'm not sure how much it was, but it was certainly a startup. It wasn't. Uh, it was a brand new company. I love the fact that the uh, the guy who started it was a maverick. And he was going against the, one of the biggest companies in the whole world, one of the most established biggest companies in the whole world. And he was making it happen. So I said, I like this. Uh, you know, and I, that was where I put my first thousand dollar investment. <laughs> so, you know, another question that I had is, is what is your investing strategy? You know, when when you're considering a new potential investment? I usually uh, I look I'm usually I began sort of with a uh, high view, you know, you could call it 10,000 feet view of the world. And then I start to drill down. And what I'm, what I'm often looking at are conditions, overall economic conditions and drivers. 
So I'm, I'm researching things that a lot of people don't, you know, like class eight truck orders or the, uh, the, the utility rates for, to rent construction equipment, Caterpillar's retail sales. Uh, you know, I'm looking at those kind of things all the time uh, and, and for, for ideas, not just on investing, but the overall economy. Once I've determined what I like, where I like it, for instance, uh, consumer discretionary, I like a lot. I think the death of the consumer was, was certainly exaggerated. Uh, we, we just had a period of 20 years where we built too many malls. Mm -hmm. And while there will be some, re, you know, some different things happening with brick and mortar, uh, this, this sort of notion that it was, they were all dead uh, created a lot of opportunities. So I, I looked from that area, and then I drilled down into an industry. And from there, I determined valuation by doing peer-to-peer -peer reviews. I look at maybe four or five names in that particular space. And what I like more than anything else is pricing power. Without, without giving up any sort of uh, volume. Mm -hmm. uh, the best example of that would be Apple. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, Apple, uh, even in the last earnings report that was considered a disappointment, saw the average price <coughs> of their iPhones go up 100 bucks year over year. And while they don't break out which phones sold how many you know, units, it was pretty obvious that their most expensive phone was selling like hotcakes, mm -hmm. and they didn't lose market share. That's the ultimate one-two punch. From there, you look at margins. Uh, I want to make sure companies aren't scrimping up. If it's a tech company or a medical company, I want to make sure they don't hit the bottom line by uh, cheating themselves on research and development. Mm -hmm. If it's a retail company, I want to look at the balance sheet. I want to make sure inventories I'm building. If it's a home builder, there's almost every industry has its own little idiosyncrasies. So from a, from a broader view, I start at the top of the income statement, work my way down, and then I look at valuation, historical valuation, uh, and where the company is, and I look at its peers. I love companies that are taking market share, mm -hmm. and I love companies that are expanding their margins. I always say if margins are expanding you know, out sideways, then the stock should go higher. Mm -hmm. So you, you brought up a, a key phrase also that we haven't really covered yet on the podcast, and that's pricing power. You know, I feel like that's a, a really key indicator that you'd want to look at, you know, for for those who don't know, what, what exactly is that and where would they go and look for uh, to see if a company has that advantage to it? Well, it's hard. Uh, you got to do a lot of work and you can Google this stuff and get an article here, article there. But for me, I just do old fashioned you know, number crunching calculator. I get it out. And like I said, it's almost every company will give you just a lot that you need with their filings, with their securities and exchange filings. Mm -hmm. And you get in there and you just sort of crunch the numbers and, and take the available information. Now, some companies will tell you right in there, for instance, when they release their earnings, we took market share this quarter. That makes it easier. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, for the most part, you got to sort of uh, do, do the work yourself. So you have four companies in, 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 in a certain industry and three are growing at 20 percent, but one is growing at 30 percent. You know, more than likely they're taking market share, particularly if they haven't discounted the product. So those kind of things are reverse engineered also. I was going to say, when do you have the time to do all this number crunching, man? <laughs> all day long, man. That's all I do all day. You should see what I did today. I did a, 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 I'm working on a piece now on Trumponomics. Mm -hmm. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm working, looking at Ronald Reagan's and, and uh, Barack Obama, because they both had to use a lot of uh, deficit spending mm -hmm. to try to correct the economies that they inherited. And in one economy, the one under Reagan grew almost at 4% annually. The one under Obama only grew at 2%. Mm -hmm. So there's a distinction as to why this happened. And because the big thing is we're going to have a new budget, I guess, eventually, certainly a new form of governing for the next several years. And I'm thinking Trumponomics is going to be close to what Reagan did, 
but with a few twists, but will it be successful? Obviously, I'm a fiscal conservative. I would love to see him cut spending. The political reality is that's not going to happen for a long time. No one will touch Social Security, not even amended or, or Medicare. So dealing in that reality, if we do have deficit spending, how can it be most effective? And, you know, one of the ways, of course, is cutting regulations and, and things like that. So uh, but that's, you know, I've got like four pages to go already on that. I mean, I've already written four pages and crunched all the numbers on that. So day and night, that's all I'm doing is crunching numbers. I just want to make sure you're properly caffeinated. That's all I can. <laughs> My handy espresso machine right there. Now, I would offer you a cup, but I don't clean it too often. So <laughs> so I don't want to get accused of, uh, you know, um, but uh, I, I knock out a lot of espressos. And, um, but I'm always excited, too. It's, it, it, the work itself is, is pretty energizing. So another question I had, too, is uh, regarding your work over Wall Street strategies. You know, I, I think part of one of your offerings is that you help uh, individuals with their portfolio construction. You know, do you have any tips and tricks on the on, you know, how you would construct your own portfolio? Well, I, you know, the bottom line is uh, it goes back to sort of the macro view. So right now, coming into 2018, I love consumer discretionary. So I would be overweight consumer discretionary. Let's say um, I had 10,000 bucks, I would probably have 2,000 of that in, in consumer discretionary, 2,000 in materials, and 2,000 in industrials, mm -hmm. and then the, and, and maybe 2,000 in technology. So that doesn't leave me a lot of money because I'm going to keep some in cash, mm -hmm. and then the rest might be in some other areas. So, uh, I, I, again, I construct a portfolio based on where I think the best opportunities and growth will be uh, generally over the next three to six months and, and try to balance it that way. Mm -hmm. So uh, another question I had is, you know, with your show here at Fox, you get to see how the news affects the market on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis, in your opinion. And I know we could do one podcast just on this question alone, but, you know, how does macro news potentially affect the micro-cap space? I think the uh, news affects micro-cap, uh, and I would add into that the greater sphere of, like, entrepreneurship, um, in a sense that it either casts this feeling of optimism or a feeling of pessimism. And unfortunately, overall, the news uh, really, really goes so far into spreading pessimism. Now, I know that they say that the, you know, the train wrecks sell, and that's what you put on the cover of a newspaper. But when the stock market goes up $8 trillion, when, it, when, it, when the values enhance $8 trillion, and the media never talks about it, but then it has a rough week and it's number one story in the market, it underscores what I mean. So now you've scared a whole lot of people out of perhaps being investors in the market, uh, but never once encouraged them or at least pointed to the good things that were happening. Bad news sells, I know that, but I think it also does a, a major disservice uh, to, to these areas where you need uh, smaller, whether it's small cap companies, micro cap companies, or even small would-be investors. Even the tinkerer, the person that may have the next great mousetrap, you need an environment where they feel like, okay, I, I feel like it's okay for me to quit my job and do this and give it a shot for a year. Mm -hmm. We don't, we we haven't had that sort of environment. I'm hoping that we get it because I think the media is doing doing America a disservice overall. Mm -hmm. But would you say, you know, also from let's say retail microcap perspective, I've done a, a few interviews with with people that say, you know, I don't even watch the, you know, what the Dow Jones does on a daily basis and. You know, I just try and pay attention to the fundamentals. You know, what, what would you tell a retail investor that focuses in, in that sense? Well, 
that's good. That's what I focus on, the fundamentals. So um, if you can do that, good. If you can read the newspapers and, and, and know that how to eliminate the voice of the author and focus strictly on the facts, that's okay. Same thing with watching news. If you say to yourself, hey, I'll watch different news, then you probably should you know, look at different things and, and, and do a little channel surfing just for balance. But, uh, but the fact is, is that if you can do that, if you can block out the noise, I, I think that's a great gift, to be quite frank with you, because uh, it's, it's just going to have you nuts. It's just going to drive you nuts day to day. And, and, and all, of it, all it does is create uncertainty, and uncertainty is not the proper backdrop for the success of anything. So, you know, how, how have you seen the microcap space? Well, you know what? I'm going to take a step back. You know, how have you seen the stock market change, you know, over the years since you've been doing all this? And, you know, in particular, have you have you ever seen a market like this? I know last week we had thousand thousand down and then back up and then thousand down again. You know, how how would you how should younger investors be weary or, or potentially be aware of this volatility? You know what? They, what should they take from this? That was a pretty loaded question. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> no, but you, got, but you got to know history. That's all. I mean, that's the most important thing. I think most people, when they're alive, they think that you know that's the most important period of time, and things that they saw is the first time it's ever happened. Right? That never happened before. Well, it did. <laughs> you know, I, I joke around. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, <clears throat> Tesla has this new electric truck, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know they're starting to get some orders. Uh, but the, there's there's a retailer, a department store that ordered three electric trucks. Mm-hmm. In 1900, <laughs> so it's you know there's very few things that are new under the sun. Even the emotions of the stock market, certainly that's not new. So I have seen these kind of wild, uh, you know, gyrations in the market. The numbers are just larger. You know, if the Dow's at 26,000, uh, a thousand points is not the same as when the Dow's say like at 9,000 and it goes down even 300 points. So those are things you have to put in proper perspective. The percentages and uh, you know, also, I think 20, 2017, honestly, in many ways, one of the best years ever for the stock market. Uh, not, not obviously, there were better years in terms of percentage gains, but percentage gains juxtaposed to lack of volatility, lack of any kind of fear. Almost every single day, the market was up. Now, it was somewhat deceiving because if you looked and you saw, well, the S&P is up X amount, often there were more stocks down than up. But you had a handful of names, just a half dozen tech names that carried the market almost three quarters of the way through. But nevertheless, just from a calming point of view, there was no volatility. There was no way it could stay that way. There was no way the Federal Reserve could stay at zero percent interest rates. There's no way yields uh, on the on the ten year bond are going to stay at two and a half percent. There's no way we're going to have this sort of tranquil, uh, just idyllic uh, backdrop of no volatility. It's okay. It's fine when it happens. Uh, you know, this gets back to that person you talked about who is investing fundamentally. You got to go back and look at the fundamentals to help you get through those periods. You don't want to be part of the crowd. And what offends me and what I've been talking about is how these professionals come on and they talk about the dumb money. Oh, $100 billion came in January. That's dumb money. The market's just shaking them out. Yeah, it's it's pretty offensive, and I and I and I caution people not to be that dumb money by letting somebody spook you out of the market because you you know a lot more than you think you know. Most this is what I know for a fact. People who listen to this podcast know a lot more about investing, or at least what's hot, than they give themselves credit for. But they've been intimidated by the process, and so don't let mm-hmm. these guys spook you out of this market. Mm-hmm. That's 
I really love that advice. I mean, that that's like kind of the whole point of everything that we want to talk about here at the podcast that, you know, it's, it's a lot simpler than it may seem, you know, it may seem intimidating when you go and open an SEC filing and look at an ink or, or also go and look at an income statement or a balance sheet. And really at the end of the day, you know, it's very simple math. You just have to know exact more or less what you're doing. You know, actually, what would your advice be to those who may be looking at that SEC filing and those income statements and be like, oh, geez, I've never been good at math. What do I do now? If the math <laughs> itself is not really that hard, to be honest with you. Yeah, listen, it could get more complicated. Certain industries are harder than others. Uh, you know, financials are harder. I mean, you have to understand cap ratios and uh, you know, the drug industry is tough because no one really knows what's going to happen. You've got three phases and then you have the new drug application uh, and all that kind of stuff. So certain industries have their own particular metrics that are that become more complicated. But the actual math in of itself is not hard. It's really the time, to be honest with you, that I think people need to set aside. Uh, the, the, the math part will come easy. It's just how much time do you want to set aside to protect and grow the money that you worked hard for? And unfortunately, people will put more time into, you know, finding a good doghouse than they will for finding a, a good investment vehicle for all that money they've worked for. You know, another this is kind of an outside the box question, too, I think, you know, in your opinion, why do you feel because it seems like millennia? I mean, part of the reason I started this podcast is because I felt that there I wanted more of, you know, millennials, people my age to get into the stock market. There's a lot of opportunity. That's a great place to build wealth, make money. You know, in, in your opinion, why has it been a slow adoption amongst my generation? Well, I think in millennials saw back to back mark stock market crashes and a housing crash. So that tends to sort of uh, you know, spook you a little bit. But they have been reinvigorated, re-energized in things that they feel like they understand. Marijuana stocks, uh, cryptocurrency. E-Trade's last earnings report was through the roof, and that was because of uh, millennial investors. And those those were the main two categories that they're investing in. I would like to see them broaden it out and not necessarily think that a, a railroad is a boring thing to have in their portfolio. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of excitement and, and getting rich overnight thing that probably dovetails into the culture you know, the same culture where someone would rent an hour of a private plane not to go anywhere but to take pictures in front of it, you know, <laughs> to put on an Insta Instagram thing. Or the same culture where Balenciaga Crocs sell for 850 bucks and sell out in an hour. So there's some of that element, too, you know, some of that get-rich-quick element, which is okay. Uh, but the, the notion that you can get rich, that your money can work for you, is the first step. So I'm glad that millennials are starting to believe that. Cool. So... Another question I had for you is what experience do you draw upon the most that really helped shape your investing strategy? Uh, really, it's it's a, a couple things. One, I always found throughout my career when it was like very dark or I thought things were going to just not work out, they actually ended up being turning points for the better. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, I wasn't a broker long when the 87 crash happened. And I'm thinking to myself, golly, this is what I wanted to do forever. And I'm watching the market crash. And I just left the office and went to a bar, had a couple of beers. And I'm walking back to the office. I see one of my buddies. And I was like, how much did we end up down? And he told me. I'm like, oh, it's over. <laughs> and I ended up opening a lot of new accounts that month. Opened more the next month, more the next month. Wow. It was just, it was amazing. So there are a lot of times when, when uh, you think... You know, it could it's it's over when you eat, you know, but it's not. But you have to also be willing to take those as learning experiences. And 
and, and implement them. There's no perfect approach to this because short-term is emotionally driven and anything can move markets. Long-term, I think it's always going to be the fundamentals, but uh, those are the most important things, I think. And, and for me, just hard work. I don't know any shortcuts. I wish I did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I, I just I just know I, I try to put the same amount of work in. And one of my own personal pet peeves is I try to always be a student of the market. I don't ever want to be uh, a market maven master. I want to be a student of the market always speaking of that i, I had I, I have to ask because i know you're an avid reader what's your favorite investing book of all time yeah yeah i know i know i'm supposed to say like benjamin graham <laughs> or adam smith i tell you my favorite book uh that it's not necessarily a pure investing book but um uh, against the gods hmm. it's a great book and it talks about man learning to take risk and it's really that's that's probably the book I that I really like the most with respect to the stock market. And I like my own book, <laughs> Be Smart, <laughs> Act Fast, Get Rich. And I think that's something that it's 10 years old, but I still think it's about 95 percent relevant. I'll definitely put a link to that in <laughs> okay. in this. And uh, another question, you know, what's your advice for any new micro cap investors or any new investors looking at the stock market as a potential place to put their money? Don't make it a casino. How do you make it a casino? You take a shot. You buy one stock and see how it goes. Give it a couple of days or a couple of weeks and be committed to it long term. That commitment means uh, that it's going to be something you do from now until, let's say, you retire at least, maybe longer, that you're going to commit money to it and time to it. And you'll build and manage your portfolio. If you're going to give it a shot, I'd just say I'd rather see you go to Vegas and have a good time and catch a couple of good shows. Uh, and unfortunately, too many people come into the market and buy a stock that they heard about at the water cooler and it doesn't work and they walk away from the greatest money-making machine ever known. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to close out on this one question. Because you you know you see the news on a daily basis, and I know you're not an oracle by any means, but you know what do you see happening in the stock market for 2018? 2018, I see the Dow getting a uh, 28 to 29,000. Uh, I see GDP growth about three and a half percent for the year. Uh, I see employ- I see wages going up. I see the Federal Reserve hiking rates three times. I see more volatility, uh, and I'm hoping to see, and I believe we will, uh, uptick in entrepreneurship, business startups, particularly by native-born Americans. Um, that number has slumped dramatically in the last 10 years. It's, it's really interesting that people born outside this country see the opportunities more so than people born here. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that we make a dent in the opioid crisis, uh, and, which is also an economic story as well. Uh, I like what I see so far in manufacturing, uh, over 200,000 jobs created since last January. Again, uh, that's middle America stuff. I like it. I, I think it's going to continue so. I think this could be a really it could be a great year economically for for the stock market and the average American. And where can my audience go and find more information about you? Go watch Making Money with Charles Payne. You know, let's well, hear it. Making Money with Charles Payne every night, uh, Monday through Friday, on Fox Business Network, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. And you can go to my website, wstreet.com. I write uh, every single day for that for that, and it's a free commentary. Wait, can you actually give a little more overview actually on Wall Street Strategy? Because I don't know if anybody knew that you have this service out there, at least in my audience. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's a uh, stock market research, independent stock market research. Been doing it for thirty years. It's after I did the the research side, made no money. I did the analytical side, made money, but was very unhappy. I kind of merged those two and, and started this company. Initially, I sold my research only to professionals. Later, I started selling uh, to individuals, a subscription base. Mm-hmm. And I've developed different services over the years. If you're a trader, if you're buy and hold, if you're long term. And I take most pride in my daily commentary. I put a lot of work into it every single day. It's unique. It's You're not going to read it in a journal or anywhere else. And I really try to educate people. I really try to go beneath the surface and crunch those numbers for them so that they understand. Because it's one thing to see the headlines. It's another sure. thing to know what's driving those headlines. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you uh, definitely provide a little bit of illumination on that in this interview. So, Charles, thank you so much for your time today. And I, I really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Bobby, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Charles, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.